Thank you, Matt, and thank you, worship team. Good morning to all of you, and Happy New Year. For any guests here or watching at home, my name is Steve Winkle, and I have a familiar face and voice to our members and regular attenders, but Pastor Brandon Hahn is our gifted pastor and preacher. My title here is Director of Community Connections and Outreach, so if you are visiting this morning, I would love to meet you after the service, or feel free to find us online and connect that way. I also have the privilege of connecting our church family to opportunities to serve each other and our community through a variety of events and local ministries, as well as to our missionaries around the world. Most of that work is behind the scenes. But occasionally, when Pastor Brandon is away, I have the honor of preparing and presenting a message from this pulpit. To begin, please trust that I understand that some of you are sleepier than usual this New Year's morning. And one of God's greatest gifts to me in a quarter century of teaching high school kids was sleepy students. To watch a weary high school student fight and lose the battle of fatigue in the midst of one of my amazing lectures, the eyes would get heavy, the subtle head bob, and then what I call the yo-yo head. <laughs> and the wide-eyed, very brief recovery. And 90 seconds or so later, slumber. Priceless. At the end of the class period, if the bell did not awaken the student, a kind, mature teacher would gently awaken the student and wish him or her well. A less mature teacher, though, would encourage the class to leave quietly and the next class to enter quietly. And when the student would inevitably awaken at some point, it was fun to watch the realization happen. <laughs> And I would smile and nod toward the door, and I really would make sure that the kid did not get in trouble, because um, it was for my entertainment. <laughs> I'm not sure what the church equivalent of that is, uh, but if you do wake up to an empty sanctuary, please make sure that the lights are off um, when you go. So, With that as my New Year's introduction, uh, let's read Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. That's on page 832 in your pew Bibles. So Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. It reads, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who is righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. I'm guessing that I join all of you in my love for the Christmas story. And for most of us, that means the first 20 verses of Luke 2, the ones that Linus recites to Charlie Brown to explain the true meaning of Christmas. And most of us are also familiar with how Luke 2 ends, with 12-year-old Jesus sitting among the teachers in the temple courts three days after his parents realized he has not joined them on their journey home to Nazareth. Sandwiched between these more familiar uh, stories is our text today, most of which happens 40 days after the first Christmas. And I believe there are at least three good reasons, three good lessons uh, for us to learn from God through Simeon and Anna as we, be, as we begin 2023. But first, let's review some of the details of the story. The journey that Joseph and Mary took from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census would have been roughly 70 miles due south through hilly and hostile Samaria. Instead, they probably took the longer, flatter, safer route along the Jordan River, closer to 90, maybe 100 miles. And Bethlehem is a south suburb of Jerusalem, so using our mission context and bearings, let's call Grand Rapids Jerusalem, which means that Nazareth to the north is roughly as far away as Big Rapids. It would not be appropriate at this point to mention that Big Rapids is home to Ferris State University, where my daughter Abby is a freshman. Also not appropriate to mention publicly how she is there in a track scholarship, where she, which she earned as a five-time All-Stater in only two high school track seasons. So as proud a father as I am, I will not do any of that. Not appropriate. Sorry, Ams. So for distance, Big Rapids is Nazareth. Grand Rapids is Jerusalem, and Bethlehem is a suburb to the southwest, so Granville or Wyoming. Verse 21 tells us that on the eighth day of his life, in accordance with Jewish tradition, Jesus was circumcised, but it doesn't tell us where. So the young family may have made the six or seven mile trip to the Jerusalem temple for the procedure, or possibly had it done locally, either way leaving them with a very fussy infant in pain. A month later, they make the short trip to the Jerusalem temple, this time for three reasons. Verses 22 through 24 from our text state, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. The Levitical guidelines stated that Mary would be considered unclean until 40 days after her son's birth. 
So one reason for the trip is for her to be declared clean via the purification ceremony. And the second reason is for Jesus to be consecrated to the Lord. In effect, that they would offer him as their oldest son to the Lord. And what sealed both of those reasons for the trip was the offering of a sacrifice. Luke only mentions the dove or pigeon options, but in Leviticus 12, we read that these are choices for those too poor to afford a lamb. And young Joseph and Mary, far from their hometown, qualify as poor. So the young couple shows up for Mary to be purified, for their baby to be consecrated, and for their birds to be sacrificed. And who is there to meet them? Simeon, who most scholars agree is an aging temple priest, though the text does not tell us his exact uh, temple role or his age. But for a long time, he has been longing for the consolation, for the rescue of Israel and Messiah who would accomplish it. Who is the source of Simeon's longing? In verses 25 through 27 of our text, look and listen for the repetition. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Yes, long before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is alive and well. He is eternal, after all. And in direct communication with Simeon, so much so that when he first holds Jesus, Simeon recognizes immediately that this is the promised Messiah. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Most scholars agree that Luke, the author of our text, is a Gentile, and his initial audience is Gentile as well. So he shows through Simeon how God's plan is being fulfilled not only for Israel, but for all nations, including people like us. And then Simeon pronounces a blessing and this stunning prophecy to Mary. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Yes, Jesus' message of salvation by grace divided those who longed for a Savior from those who believed they did not need one. And the Roman sword that would later pierce Jesus' side would also be felt very deeply by his earthly mother. And she likely recalled Simeon's prophetic words on the Friday that we now call good. And that brings us to Anna in verses 36 through 38, whose name means grace. One of a few reasons my oldest daughter shares the name of this widow prophet. The text tells us that she was married for seven years and a widow for the rest of her adult life. And most of those 60 years were spent in and around the temple courts. Her faith in God was disciplined, full of fasting and prayer. And like Simeon, she was able to sense the son of Mary and Joseph was the Messiah. So verse 38 tells us that she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
If the last two verses of our text seem to be missing a few key details, well, they are. Luke likely had access to Mark's gospel when he wrote his, and his gospel ended up the longest of the four. In fact, the book of Acts uh, is author Luke's companion account to his gospel, and the total number of words in these two books make Luke the most prolific of all New Testament writers, accounting for roughly 25% of the New Testament. But back to verse... Verses 39 and 40, the final two verses of our text, which read, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. It's true that they eventually did return to Nazareth, but the second chapter of Matthew's gospel tells us of the visit of the Magi to the house where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were living. And that led to a harrowing journey southwest to Egypt. The fact that Herod later had all the children in and around Bethlehem under the age of two executed makes most scholars believe that Jesus was at least a year old when they fled. Yes, the Magi went to a house and not a stable. So we should keep those wise men a little ways away from our manger scenes next Christmas because they likely show up several months, maybe a year, after our Simeon and Anna story today. After Joseph, Mary, and Jesus stay safely in Egypt for several months, possibly a year or two, Jesus would still have been a young child when they made their way back to Nazareth. And it was there that he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him, as Luke describes here in verse 40. So, for all of us visual learners, these are the travels that surround our Simeon Anna story via the combined accounts of Matthew and Luke. Nazareth to Bethlehem, 90-ish, maybe 100 miles while pregnant. Bethlehem to Jerusalem at least once, maybe twice, six or seven miles one way. Bethlehem to Egypt, west and south. You can see the blue to the west of our math, map. They go west and then south along the Mediterranean coast. Uh, at least 100 miles, uh, likely more, uh, beyond, Herod, beyond Herod's jurisdiction. And then eventually from Egyptian-controlled territory back to Nazareth, 200 miles, probably more, on foot. Anyone else tired? <laughs> now that we know the basics of the story, let's return to Simeon and Anna and ponder at least three lessons from their lives. We know that Anna is old because Luke tells us she is 84. And we are fairly certain that Simeon is old as well. And this account comes one chapter after Luke tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth, the future parents of John the Baptist, who are both very old. In emphasizing their ages, and at the same time the key roles they play in the story of our Savior, Luke reminds us of something that God has done throughout history, used old people to make himself known and his will known. In the 1990s, I lived in Singapore for three years and then back for a second stint uh, in the Philippines for three years. And in both places, three-generation and four-generation homes uh, were uh, frequent, um, uh, ha happened a lot in those, both of those cultures. And I know that some of you have lived that experience, maybe with some fond memories, maybe with some tough ones. But for those of us who have never experienced a three or four generation home, 
I think maybe we have missed some really good stories. And I think maybe we have missed opportunities uh, to serve and to help and to bless those who have blessed us. I'm certainly not condemning places like the Holland Home and Sunset Manor, but I know that there are many lonely people there. And most of us have the ability to do something about that. My grandpa Winkle died at age 99, several years after his wife. And he offered, often wondered why God was taking so long to take him home. Until one day during his 98th year, he led a fellow Sunset Manor resident to Christ. Tony Campolo tells the story of challenging a group of senior citizens not to waste their retirement years which led to an elderly widow calling him the next day, offering herself to whatever ministry might fit. He asked what skills she had, and she told him of her years as a nurse, but the only healthcare option he had involved driving a motorcycle between villages somewhere in South America. So he told her that he would get back to her. However, a few months later, she called him with the news that she had just passed her motorcycle safety course, that she was ready to go, and she spent the last years of her life in Mountain Village Healthcare Ministry. Obviously, that won't work for everyone. From the pickleball athletic feats that I've witnessed back in the gym, I think we've got several 70-plus candidates for motorcycle mountain ministry, though. Some amazing athletic endeavors happen down there. But I do simply want to say to the elderly saints among us, thank you. Thank you for your legacy of faith. And like Simeon and Anna, please keep reminding us to look for Jesus. We have 721 names on our church roll, from baptized babies to our oldest members. And guess how many are over the age of 70? Just whisper your guess to your neighbor. 110. As we begin 2023, may we all consider more ways to honor our seniors, to be intentional about intergenerational activities. And for those who qualify for senior citizen discounts, please remember that we are blessed by your goodness and faithfulness, and that we need you to remind us about what is important and what isn't in living for Jesus. The second lesson comes in contrast to something we often hear today, that being a Christian is about relationship and not about religion, implying that they are somehow opposite or at least in conflict with each other. Those who claim this have wonderful intentions, striving to steer people like us away from becoming 21st century Pharisees. Even Pastor Tim Keller, who is often quoted from this pulpit, including by me, uh, has a wonderful chart that contrasts religion with the gospel. What I wish, though, is that Dr. Keller had used false religion for the heading to, to contrast the gospel, because maybe some of our relationship not religion thinking goes too far. And why do I think that? The Greek word translated as religion a few times in the New Testament is threskia. And we see both false and true religion in James chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. This is verse 26. 
Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. That's the kind of false religion that contrasts with the gospel. However, this is verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If God accepts religion as pure and faultless, when it shows up in how we care for orphans, widows, and other marginalized people, and as we keep our minds and hearts from the world's pollution, then maybe we should not be so quick to, dis to dismiss our religion and instead to see a healthy connection between relationship and religion. In our Luke 2 passage this morning, Mary and Joseph have Jesus circumcised and concentrated and consecrated at the appropriate times. They make their sacrifices. And at the end of the chapter, head for Jerusalem with 12-year-old Jesus for the Passover. They are religious people. And both Simeon and Anna spend most of their waking hours at the temple. And it's clear that they both practice their faith in God religiously. Luke notes that Simeon is righteous and devout and that Anna cons consistently fasts and prays, which today we would call spiritual disciplines, which Christ later practices and models for his followers. Yes, both Simeon and Anna have wonderfully intimate relationships with God, so much so that they recognize him in Christ. But the ways that they practice their faith religiously draw them to Christ rather than away from him. When Paul later tells the Philippians to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he is telling them to practice their faith in consistent, disciplined ways, whether or not they feel like doing so. At least a few of you did not feel like coming to church this morning. No show of hands necessary. But you came anyway. Well done. You didn't earn any righteous points before a holy God by doing so. But I believe our faithful God has something for you to receive and to give in this building, maybe in the parking lot, which will bless you and someone else. In the months to come, we will hear from Pastor Brandon and Mary, our discipleship director, about ways to help all of us become more spiritually disciplined. What James would call practicing true religion in order to draw us closer to God, as well as, as well as to live our faith more consistently. In short, don't become a more arrogant Pharisee in 2023, but trust that God has provided ways for us to be more like Simeon and Anna and more like Jesus. A final lesson comes from the third person of the Trinity, the one who interacted so intimately with Simeon. For many of us who grew up in the CRC, we mostly had a two-person trinity, father and son. But I love how our denomination has grown in our emphasis and understanding of the Holy Spirit. We still have a little ways to go, but we're getting there. In the fourth century, the early church held key meetings in Nicaea and Constantinople where they discerned trinity truths that Christians still hold today. In short, they concluded what I think Simeon would have told them, that God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are one God in three persons. 
And even though the human mind cannot fully fathom this reality, we can still celebrate the truth of it. And for most of us, the Holy Spirit remains the most mysterious of the three. Answer 53 of the Heidelberg Catechism um, says this uh, of the Holy Spirit. First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Simeon would tell all of us today that the Holy Spirit is just as real, just as powerful, just as loving, just as amazing and ultimately impossible for us fully to grasp as the Father and the Son, but so, so worth getting to know. We began our service singing a welcome to the Holy Spirit, who is already here, but welcoming him in acknowledging his presence, we grasp a little more deeply what it means to be in relationship with an ever-present God. Among whatever other New Year's resolutions have been made by all of us, what if by the end of 2023, we are all more loving, joyful, peace-filled, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled? And what if we could get supernatural help in making that happen? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in this place, in each heart in this room. And those watching online, please grow your fruit in us this year and until Christ returns. To close, I simply want to remind you of the very good news, the best news ever that Simeon realized long ago. What Simeon knew then and what God wants us to know all over again, or maybe for the first time on this first day of 2023, is that his good news is not fundamentally about information. His good news is about a person, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, born from a virgin to live, die, conquer death, and one day to return. He is the light and the only true hope of this world in 2023 and beyond. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are good and faithful. We thank you, God, on this first day of 2023 for being a God who not only makes promises, but who keeps them. Thank you, God, for Simeon and Anna, your faithful servants long ago, and for how they model for us so much of what it means to be followers of you. Holy Spirit, help us in this day, help us in this week, this month, this year, to be more faithful followers of you. Empower us to draw near to you and to 
see the work that you have prepared in advance for each of us to do. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you here in this place. Help us to grasp the lyrics of that song.